What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian, and I'm joining Nick. What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everyone. All right, we got another week full of sports. Uh, so let's just start with football. Uh, yeah, so going into football, um, I'm just going to start off with uh, the injuries that happened over this week because, honestly, this week was full, chock full of injuries. And rather than just, I'd rather just get them out of the way first rather than you know, go through them individually because... I feel like the details of each injury are relatively unimportant, but you know the players. The fact the players are injured is more important. So the list of injuries for this week, uh, in terms of uh, notable players, would be Paris Campbell, wide receiver for the Colts; Nick Bosu, uh, second-year pass rusher for the Forty Nine ers; quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo for the Forty Nine ers; Drew Locke, quarterback for the um, Denver Nuggets; Denver Nuggets; Broncos. Denver Broncos. <laughs> thank you. Um, and so far, it seems like in terms of impactful injuries. Um, Nick Bosa has an ACL tear. Jimmy Garoppolo has an ankle injury. Drew Locke's out for, for like six weeks. Saquon Barkley's next. He towards ACLs out for the entire year. Christian McCaffrey has some sort of ankle injury. He's going to be out for four to six weeks. Solomon Thomas, I don't think there's any news that broke on him, but they're expecting some sort of significant injury there. Uh, Rashad Perryman, David Montgomery, Anthony Barr, Jerry Judy, Malik Hooker's out for the rest of the year. This is his fourth year in a row being out for the entire year. Uh, Sterling Shepard hurt his toe, and he's out for a couple weeks. Cam Akers, Raheem Mostert, who had a sprained MCL, uh, he's out for, like, a couple weeks. Uh, Courtland Sutton is out for the entire year with 20 steel. Byron Jones, Devontae Adams, Dak Prescott. Um, and I'm sure there's more, but that's just a, a few to, you know, few to name right there. Uh, it's an incredible amount of injuries. Uh, more injuries than I've ever seen, I think, in one week, especially significant injuries. You know, we're not talking little bang-ups here. We're talking completely torn ACLs, torn Achilles. Uh, really bad stuff. But you also had like Tyrod Taylor, who had like a, a chest injury, a heart, maybe a heart heart attack, possibly. It's so a little groggy on the news there, but he's fine. Uh, now. I, I he's fine. Now. Okay. The hospital. Yeah, he got. I, I did hear he got discharged from the hospital. It's just, it's an incredible week for injuries. So I guess it's kind of you know, the opposite of incredible, but um, it's insane to see all the injuries. And to me, I just you gotta have to give it to the fact that they didn't have a preseason. You know, these players push their bodies to the absolute limits and. When you don't have a preseason to warm up, because you, you remind yourselves they do a little, a little bit easier in preseason with more camp. You know their bodies get to their muscles get to stretch a little bit more. Their bodies get to warm up. They start to get start to build, you know, specific areas of muscle that allow them to compete at the highest level. And when you take that away, I think you see injuries like this. Um, it's really interesting that it happened in week two and not week one, though. Uh, Max, do you have any comments? You know, I, I don't want to. I want to do my best to not downplay everything that's happened in the past few months. But I think it's one of those things where we're seeing that. The, the lack of practice for these players, I think, was more harmful to them. And we're seeing now than COVID was. And I, I think the NFL, I think, made we're seeing now made a mistake not having a preseason. You know, I've always been of the opinion for a long time that we don't need a preseason. And I think I was proven wrong yesterday because we saw just with the way they were not able to get into game shape for the year, how many injuries. Like I don't think it's a fluke that we see that many injuries in the op- opening one of the opening weeks, surprise, again, surprising, like you said, not week one. But to see it that early in the year, I don't think it's a fluke. I think it's because of lack of practice. And again, I, just think, the NFL, I think the NFL made a mistake not having a preseason. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, for me, I, I was always in favor of the preseason. I talked about it on the podcast a few times before. Like, number one, for the teams to get into practice games. Um, but number two, more importantly, for those players that are on the cuffs of making a roster, those are really big games for them to prove themselves to the rosters they're trying to make. Um with that being said, I'm sure there's going to be a large uh, compiling of signings going forward for players that may have been out of the league, like maybe a Des Bryant might get signed. Um, I know the Giants are planning to bring in Devonta Freeman and hopefully sign him and replace him at running back. 
Um, I know Ziggy Ansah got signed by the 49ers earlier today and to replace Joey Bo- uh, Nick, Nick Bosa, rather. So a lot of signings, you know, a lot of players that were on the cusp of making an info roster, you know, more so veterans, um, are going to be brought back in. So I guess if there's any positive news, it's that. And also, like, a lot, I mean, a good amount of these are, but a lot of these also are not, like, season-ending injuries. Like, Raheem Moser will be back later in the year. Um, Drew Locke will be Chris McCaffrey. So some of these players are going to be back, but, I mean, it's just unfortunate to see this early into the year. And the 49ers team especially, that team is decimated. I thought that they were going to win the conference again. Now it's they, they might be lucky, lucky to make the playoffs at this point. Mm-hmm. A ton of teams across the, the 49ers, um, for injuries, rather. Uh, so pretty incredible week for injuries. Um, going through the games, we're we'll start off with the first game of the week. We had the Bengals and Browns. Uh, the Browns wound up winning at thirty-five to thirty. Um, in terms of this game, I think the Bengals performed pretty well, right? Uh, nobody, in my opinion, I don't think there's anybody expecting too much out of the Bengals this year. Joey Bosa, uh, Joey Bosa. Why am I keeping going back? Joey Bosa. Uh, Joe Burrow has really proved that he was worthy of the number one overall pick, in my opinion, so far. Um, you know, there's still a lot of season left. But through his first two games, he's looked really well as a rookie quarterback. Um, seems to be making the right reads. You know, has, having his rookie struggles, don't get me wrong, but he's performed very well, I think, for a rookie quarterback, especially in these circumstances where he's had no practice. Um, and on the Browns side of things, you know, if I'm the Browns, I'm still not satisfied, right? They lost last week pretty bad, 638 against the Ravens. The 35-30 to went over the Bengals. is nothing to celebrate. Um, really, with how much talent's on that team, you should be able to separate yourselves more. Uh, Baker Mayfield finally didn't play terribly. He had a pretty solid game. Uh, Odell caught a nice touchdown pass. Um, that was one of the highlights of the week. Um, you know, I think decent game for the Browns, but I think there's a lot more for them to work on. And for the Bengals, you know, uh, this, this to be expected for the Bengals. And the fact that uh, Joe Burrow is showing a lot of promise is a good thing. No, I do want to give the Browns a little credit here because, you know, they went into week one and they didn't look good at all. Obviously, they got they, their offense, their whole team was shut down, really. You know, coming into week two, it was, it was kind of like a do-or-die game for them. You know, if you don't win this game, you're not going to have a good season. But, if, you know, if you win, you know, maybe you could turn yourself around. They won. They, they Their offense did what they were supposed to do, which is, I mean, it's, which is good. I mean, it's the Browns at this point. You know, I guess it's sad that we're saying that what you're supposed to do was good. But, I mean, it's, it's if this team can get back on track, then you never know. I mean, they have all that talent. They could potentially be good. So, I mean... Good to them to get back on track, but they still have a lot more to prove with the Bengals. I mean, like you said, the future is really bright over there. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um, so moving on from there, going through it, we have the Broncos and Steelers. The Steelers wind up edging out the Broncos 26-21. Obviously, on the Broncos side of things, Drew Locke went out uh, with a shoulder injury, and he's going to be out for probably four to six weeks. Uh, Jeff Driscoll took over, which I had never heard of Jeff, Jeff Driscoll in my entire life, um, but did not perform terribly, especially against that Steelers defense, who I think is a really good defense, number one. Number two, they're really hot right now. Um, they destroyed the Giants, and I think they played pretty decently against the Broncos. Um, with that being said, the Steelers were too good for them, and they are now 2-0. You know, I'm really liking the Steelers team. I think offensively, they have a little bit a little bit to work with. Uh, James Conner has really struggled to get his, his, his significant run game going, which I think is going to be big for the Steelers, um, especially if Ben Roethlisberger's struggles or gets hurt again. You know, I think I'm pretty iffy about Brendan Hussberger because he seems to get injured. Um, you know, with his weight and how old he is, um, he's, he's pretty delicate out there. But uh, I'm really liking the Steelers team, how they look so far. Um, I think they have a lot to promise. And then the Broncos side of things, you know, I, the Broncos also lost Court and Sutton. They've lost uh, Von Miller. Uh, a lot of, you know, Jerry Judy got injured. This is the extent of his injuries, a little bit unknown right now. But 
Um, you know, this Broncos team, again, I think they're sort of like my Cardinals from the past couple of years. I think they have a lot of promise moving forward. Um, but with the injuries they have right now and how young they are, um, it, it's going to be a little bit before they really start to get going. But I am pretty excited about the Steelers team. I have a good feeling about them. Yeah, I know. I thought, for, even though they haven't put up a ton of points yet, I do have to credit the Steelers' offense. I, they're better than right now that I thought they'd be. I thought coming into this year, Ben Roethlisberger wouldn't be really that good at all. You know, coming off, him being 38 years old with the shape he is currently in and with the elbow injury he if he just had, I didn't think he'd perform that well at all. But I mean, he's making the most of his what he has. His, he's got good weapons. He's using them. And James Conner even had it. I thought he, he had a pretty, pretty good game yesterday, although one of his runs was in complete garbage time. But anyway, I mean, that, that with that defense and if their offense can do what they're supposed to do, I mean, they could be a really good team. I, I don't think they'll win more than 11 games, but that team could definitely make the playoffs. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Max. Like, same line of thinking. Um, ben Osenberg is doing really well for what he has, and that defense is incredible. Uh, moving on from there, we have the Panthers-Buccaneers. The Buccaneers pick up their first win of the season, 31-17. First win uh, for Tom Brady as a Buccaneer. Rob Gronkowski didn't really touch the field. Um, you know, kind of unfortunate there. I, it's kind of, I'm kind of skeptical to see what we're going to see out of Rob Gronkowski um, with his, you know, his retirement and coming back. But he really didn't touch the field yesterday. Um, and then, uh, so the Buccaneers, I think, had a pretty solid game there. Uh, the Panthers, you know, they're struggling out the gate. I kind of expected it with the Panthers, number one. Um, you know, they lost Christian McCaffrey yesterday, which is a huge loss for them, right? Best running back in the league. Uh, he's out probably four to six weeks. Um, and then, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, the new quarterback, new coach with Matt Rule. Um, I definitely expected some some hiccups with this Panthers team going forward. You know, losing Luke Keekley over the offseason. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of losses here for the Panthers. And, you know, it's going to be a struggle for them to get back on track. Um, but I think, you know, there's one of the teams that's going to be good in the, in the future, but maybe not right now. And the Buccaneers, uh, it's kind of hard to say where they're going to land, but, um, you know, it's Tom Brady, so you can never count them out. Yeah, it was good to see Tom Brady. You know, he threw that touchdown pass to Mike Evans. And I think, and he also threw another interception. It's still going to take a little time for them to work on their chemistry down there, but I think they definitely can do it for the Panthers. So I think the bigger story of the game, more than anything, is Christian McCaffrey. If he's out for a significant amount of time, that team may not even win a game. That's so. That's I think that's the biggest takeaway from them more than anything, despite how they performed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally agree. And then I think Chris Godwin's out too now. Um, but that's short term, right? No, he'll be he'll be back. Chris Godwin, he's coming back in week three. They announced today. Yeah, yeah. So that's short term. Uh, but Mike Evans is pretty good at picking up fantasy, so I was happy to see him deliver touches. Um, Chris Godwin will probably go back and being Tom Brady's go-to next week. Uh, next game, we had the 49ers-Jets. Um, obviously, we talked about the 49ers a little bit earlier. You know, the 49ers did win 31-13. But the Ford is a significant game for the 49ers because although they may have won, uh, number one, it was against a bad Jets team. But number two, more importantly, they've lost so much talent off their roster between Solomon Thomas, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Raheem Mostert. You know, there's a lot, ton of a ton, Nick Bosa. This is a ton of talent lost for the 49ers. And for a team that made the Super Bowl next year, um, last year rather, with that amount of talent loss, they may struggle to make the playoffs this season. Um, just fr- frankly, you know, we'll have to see how COVID affects them, but just the fact that they already have that many injuries uh, is, is pretty incredible. You know, the COVID has been pretty good so far, but I'm just saying, like, if you take a team like the 49ers who are pretty injury riddled right now, and then you add COVID on top of it, you know, a team like the 49ers could be obliterated this season, forget even ma- being close to making the playoffs. Uh, but that amount of loss and injury is really tough for them. Um, but, you know, there's still a solid team outside of that, but again, they're going to struggle. 
Um, they may not make the playoffs. We'll have to see how early like players like Jimmy Garoppolo come back. Um, with that being said, on the Jets side of things, you know, I think the Jets are pretty awful. Um, same same thing with the Giants. Uh, I'll let Brian talk a little bit about the Jets, but uh, the Jets have been pretty pretty terrible. Adam Gase is, is a terrible coach, in my opinion. Sam Darnold is struggling. That entire team is struggling. They put a ton of money into free agency about two years ago, and their cap is, is relatively tight. Um, they, you know, they haven't seen a lot of projection from the rookies. Denzel Mims is an IR. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's an IR. Just really struggling team with the Jets right now. Uh, Brian, you want to talk a little about them? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't really want to talk about them, but I will uh, because – so I watched the game yesterday, obviously. Um, it's the only thing I really pay attention to when it comes to football. Um, so – First off, yeah, Adam Gase sucks. I thought his game plan in the beginning did somewhat work. Uh, his, like, short passes and things like that. But then, because of the lack of talent on their team, they get down by such a large amount of points that they have to basically change up their game plan and try and make long passes. But the Jets just don't have the talent for that. Whether that be Sam Darnold not having the talent for that or them not having wide receivers, good wide receivers to pass to. That's a, like a whole other discuss, a whole other discussion, but um, there's just nothing going right for this team. I mean, their defense is also not good at all. It would be nice if we had Jamal Adams back on the team. It would be nice if they weren't CJ mostly too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but more to the point that they made the, I still think dumb decision to trade Jamal Adams. Um, it would be nice if we still had him on the team, uh, but I'm not going to harp on that too much, but yeah, I mean, Sam Darnold, like, had an okay game, I think it was a much better game than he did against the Bills, but still nothing to really, like, get excited about at all, um, I've been hearing rumors about, uh, what the Jet that the Jets probably, if they have, if they don't have a good season, them going after a quarterback in there with their first overall pick I mean their first round pick next season but that's way down the line uh, but in conclusion it was not a good game at all yeah I didn't really watch this game that closely but I, I mean I think the score is pretty indicative about it but more than anything it just like Nick and I've been saying the 49ers injuries are the main story of this game you know is, and also either that George Kittle didn't even play this week. Right. so what what are this what's this team gonna do I mean they they've lost their their, their best player on offense didn't play this week and they've lost their best player on defense. So, I mean, I just don't even know what to say. I mean, Raheem Mostert's going to be back. I, I think Kittle will probably be back, and then Garoppolo will be back. But that, like, that, like I said, that team is is mainly known for their de- defense for being so good. I mean, the offense is pretty good, too, but also nowhere near as good as their defense. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're going to be lucky to make the playoffs this year at this rate. Mm-hmm. And just going back to, to Brian's point about I've heard rumors about the Jets tanking and then getting Trevor Lawrence to me, like Sam Darnold's not the problem. I don't, you know, Sam Darnold, I don't think he, he may not be a Patrick Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson, but I still think he's a solid quarterback. I just think they put him in the situation where he's had terrible offensive line, terrible wide receiver, terrible weapons, you know, terrible coaching. They just set him up to fail, and it's really unfortunate for Sam Darnold because I do think he is relatively talented. You know, I think he could be a start, starting solid quarterback in this league. If not, you know, above that, maybe even a, a you know, all-pro player, maybe even a Super Bowl winner, put it on the right roster. But, um, you know, it's just tough because the Jets are just so bad right now, and I think he's just in such a bad situation. I had this discussion with my brother about, like, if it's Sam Donald or the situation around him, 
<clears throat> and to a certain point, yeah, he has not had like a good situation around him from wide receiver talent to offensive line to coaches. Just nothing really is what it should be for Sam Darnold. But then again, if you're as talented of a quarterback as everyone says Sam Darnold could be, you should be able to do something. Like, be able to get an offensive going, an offense going to some degree. But, like, through these past seasons, I really haven't seen that, that much. To me, I think it's just a case of an organization just being um, awful from the top down. It doesn't matter who really yeah. they sign. It's just like, same with the Browns and Baker Mayfield. Little Baker Mayfield definitely does to himself with the way he goes out and just whines and complains all the time but the way that Browns team is setting him up to fail not because of the weapons he has but because of the the terrible organization because their owner Jimmy Haslam just changes coaches and executives every two years I mean, you're never going to win with that and the same thing with Darnold and the Jets they're just setting him up to fail with the way their organization is run I mean yeah uh, no part of the Jets is good there's nothing I can point to <laughs> alright that being said I guess I'm on to the next game uh, so a bit of a little max specialty right here. We had the Titans and Jaguars. The Titans won a 33-30. to um, On the Jaguars side, you know, it seems they're doing pretty good. Gardner Minshew has performed way above everybody's expectations coming into the draft last year. Especially this year, he's been very good for the Jaguars, which I kind of figured that. I've, I've been following Gardner Minshew since he was in college, and I always thought he would be a solid quarterback in the NFL. Um, but to me, like, Gardner Minshew really right now for the Jaguars is that diamond in the rough. Uh, that franchise is totally terrible. And Gardner Minshew is kind of the glue that's keeping the brittle bones together. Um, with that being said, on the Titans side, you know, Titans obviously 2-0 and now. With, uh, they perform decently, but if I'm a Titans fan, in my opinion, like 33-30 against the Jaguars is not good enough. We got we definitely got to do better than that. Um, with how good the Titans can be, uh, you know, if they're going to be a 33-30 win is solid, but, you know, when you play a team like the Chiefs or the Ravens, that's not that type of play is not going to be good enough to play that level against the Jaguars. Uh, Max? Yeah, so this is a game I, I watched from start to finish. I'll definitely talk the most about this one. Offensively, I think the team had a very good game. You know, Ryan Tannehill was 4-4 in the red zone. He threw four touchdowns over 239. It was under 250 yards. It was 239 yards, I believe that was the number it was. Um, John U. Smith is a player I want to talk about. A guy who... He has not had a ton of receptions on the year. He doesn't get a ton of receptions or targets, but he is a really good playmaker. Every time he gets the ball, he's doing something good with it. And this is, this is a guy that gets better and better, and he's, at this point, a really dependable part of the offense. And Corey Davis is stepping up now. Hopefully this is his breakout year, but he he had a good game against the Broncos, and he had another good game against the Jaguars. He only had 36 yards, but he had another touchdown, which is really, which is good for him. Um, Derek Henry did not have a great game. He only had, he had, I believe it was 25 rushes for 84 yards. Not what we expect from Derek Henry, but he is a second half of the year player. And, and overall, he, he does have 200 yards on the season counting the last Monday night. So overall, the yardage isn't the problem. I think it's really the yards per carry. That's the issue with them. The real issue in the game for the Titans was the defense, because even though they forced two turnovers, um, they just couldn't stop Gardner Minshew. He was, um, especially on third down, the defense was awful. And James Robinson, their running back, was getting a lot of yards too. I think part of this does have to do with some in- injuries. Adoree Jackson and Vic Beasley are out too. The guys supposed to be our better defenders. But nonetheless, I, like Nick said, it's not good enough. We expect the defense to be better than that. Overall, I with the way the team is headed, I, I still feel pretty good about it because, once again, the offense is good. They showed that the pass attack can pick up the slack in the absence of Derrick Henry performing extremely well and 
Again, the defense did force two turnovers. Jeffrey Simmons is become is a really, really good player. He's showing that. Jadavion Clowney, even though he hasn't had any sacks, he's made his presence felt with the pressure he's generated. And he, I remember he had one really critical play. He got pressure on Minshew. We got forced to throw it away on, on a drive really late in the game where the Jaguars could have won it. So, again, I... I think the best is yet to come. We expect better, and hopefully they do. But uh, but I do I do think this team is really good. They can. It's not not really good, but they, they're a pretty good team. They can do well, and it's also the first time we've started two and zero since two thousand eight. So that's something to look at. And one thing I want to point out point um point out is you know I know the statement like a wins a wins not really a good statement. You want to do the best you can, but you know sometimes the difference between a good a good and a bad team is. You know, getting those wins versus not getting the wins, and we've won two close games. So I, hopefully that bodes well moving forward. Yeah, I definitely agree. I have I totally have a lot of uh, hope about this Titans team. And I think my point being, and I think Max would agree, is that they're, they're a really good team. They just have to play to the level that they can, right? And and they're going to keep working at that. You know, two and zero is, is a good start, and if they continue this trend, they will we will get to that potential that they're supposed to have. Yep. Um, with that being said, we're moving on. We have the Giants and the Bears. The Bears won seventeen to thirteen. Here's here's my game. Uh, first of all, the Bears. Mitch Trubisky has really showed out since the beginning. You know, the first two games of the season, uh, he's looking like an early MVP candidate. Will it last? I don't think so. But um, out the gate, Mitch Trubisky's performing very well. That Bears defense has kind of handled themselves decently. Um, and Matt Nagy, I think we, we've known he's a good coach, and I think maybe it's starting to gel this year. We'll have to see. Um, and. I don't really know what the difference is, but maybe it's just Mr. Trubisky's year that he finally says, you know what, they brought in Nick Foles, they're putting pressure on me, I have to perform, and maybe that was enough to make him perform. We'll have to see, you know, two games into the season, he's performed very well. On the Giants side of things, um, I'm just so disappointed in this franchise. I hope I hope Mara sells to the team. So I hope so. Um, Joe Judge, I'm, I'm so iffy about him at this point. It's only two games in the season, but... Uh, so far through the, turn, the two games of the season, you know, the Giants came back late and kind of put up a fight. Uh, but I think, you know, Joe Judge, he always comes out and he says, you know, we play tough and we, we put up a fight. Well, a fight in the NFL is not good enough. You know, we cannot continue to play awfully and then say, oh, we, we tried hard. Um, trying hard is not good enough. Uh, you know, on a, for a good team that wins and they lose a game, we played we played hard, that matters. But the Giants are just so terrible. It's, it's, it's awful. Uh Beyond Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, uh, his offensive coordination so far has not been great. The Giants' rushing game has pretty much been minimal. Uh, Saquon Barkley had six rushing yards last week, and I think we had minimal rushing yards this week. Um, with that being said, Saquon Barkley did suffer a torn ACL, and I blame that on the franchise, even though it was kind of a kind of just a random mishap. I think that like Saquon Barkley and his the way he sets himself up for every rush is that I'm the mindset of I'm going to get blown up in the backfield, right? And when he luckily doesn't get blown up in the backfield, he feels the need to actually push his body to the absolute limit when he gets the opportunity, the opportunity to, br- to even break a positive yard, uh, for positive yards for a run. So I blame, even though it was kind of a freak accident, and I don't think you can blame the franchise. I'm blaming the franchise. <laughs> I'm just so pissed at the Giants. This is just terrible. Uh, you know, our defense is atrocious. We look like switch cheese all the time. I don't know what we're doing. With the only thing I can say about the Giants, and I'll talk about a little bit of positive notes in the Giants. They did generate some pressure against the Bears. Um, I forget how many sacks they had, but I want to say it was a decent amount of sacks. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I think we're looking at some of the positives. I think Daniel Jones has played pretty, you know, decently so far. Um, I think he's playing a little bit better than last year, but still not great. We have four turnovers in six quarters, I remember. That was one of the stats they used. 
Uh, I want to say it was like either a player or two after Saquon Barkley had gone out and tore his ACL. Daniel Jones threw an interception, so it was just a very frustrating game for a Giants fan. Um, oh, I say overall, I am a little disappointed that Daniel Jones didn't perform better in this game. I thought he looked pretty decent on Monday night. He was composed until he threw that stupid throw to Cameron Hayward. But, oh, I mean, the Bears do have a pretty good defense, but I expect them to be better in the first half. You know, as for Trubisky, I mean, I feel like um, the fourth quarter against the Lions might have been a turning point because he really did not look very good until then. And now and he went in the first half against the Giants and balled out. So, I mean, maybe it's a turning point. Who knows? But, I mean, I, I, I knew the game would be pretty close. But for the Giants, I, I mean, I think even I, I'm expecting better and I feel like I'm an outsider. But Yeah, I totally agree. I, I saw something on Twitter. It was like, I think it was the when they posted that Saquon Barkley has torn ACL, had to torn his ACL, and the the post was like a picture, and it was like, our expectations were low, but oh my God, this is bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we're, we're competing for the first overall pick, and maybe the Giants go after Trevor Lawrence, too. We'll have to see. <laughs> um, with that being said, moving on, we had the Rams-Eagles. Um, really interesting game. I think the Rams are really hot out the gate. Not something that I expected. You know, I have little faith in this roster going into the season with how they built in terms of a financial uh, situation. But uh, so far, Sean McVay has shown why he is a really good coach in the NFL and why he made it to the Super Bowl, uh, I believe it was two, three years ago. Um, I just love the way Sean McVay handles the offense in terms of using a limited amount of formations or running a ton of different plays out of that same formation. Really puts the defense on their heels and gets them gets them thinking, like, what could happen. We know we know there's, like, six plays that could happen in this one formation, and we got to be ready for all of it. Um, I don't know. For me, I, just, I really like the, the play calls. Uh, you know, and Rams obviously have some some threats over there with the uh, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. They performed really well so far. <laughs> Malcolm Brown had a little bit less of a week. Um, Jared Goff's been decent. Well, that defense has been really solid. Uh, you know, these Rams they're showing a lot of promise so far, and if they continue to play the way they are, to me they're they're possible Super Bowl contenders, uh, which is incredible because I didn't think they would be coming into the season. Um, and then on the Eagles side of things, the Eagles, uh, first of all, their injuries have plagued them so bad. Their offensive line, I think, is entirely new in terms of the starters that they had going into the offseason are completely out at this point. Um, beyond that, Carson Wentz has performed subpar so far. Uh, the defense has been awful for the Eagles, more importantly. <coughs> Sorry. Um, COVID. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, but, yeah, the, the secondary is, is depleted. You know, they have a, a, a I think the Eagles have had a ton of injuries so far, and then their, their secondary has been pretty abysmal. Um, Darius Slay went down with an injury yesterday, which is huge because I just picked him up in the offseason. Uh, looking pretty rough for the Eagles so far. Yeah, I don't know what's happening over in Philly. I mean, I expected this game to be pretty close, but to see it that bad, you know, I mean, I guess it was fairly close to the beginning, but to let it escape from them that bad is crazy. You know, Carson Wentz, it still looks like he's lost his confidence over there. I mean, despite the fact they have injuries, if it I just I just can't get the game against Washington out of my head with the way he, they came out in the second half and played since then. You know, but for the Rams, I would I still wouldn't call them Super Bowl contenders because I don't think that roster is good enough. You know, even though Jared Goff and Tyler Higby had really good games yesterday, but anything more to your point about? I think this says more about Sean McVay than anything because that team has been I I I'd say decimated since their Super Bowl run because the um, cap situation is really hurt them. They've invested the money in all the wrong guys, but. Sean McVay, he's put together a winning team so far with the limited pieces he has, and I, I'm really excited to see what he can do moving forward. Once again, I don't, I don't think this team's a Super Bowl contender go that far, but with a coach like McVay, I think you're always gonna have a good, you're gonna have a good chance to win. Yeah, um, 
I totally agree. Uh, so moving on from there, we have the Vikings and Colts. Um, Vikings have performed underperformed pretty badly so far. Uh, I think Max had agreed that we, they had a pretty good roster. Max said they had one of the best rosters in the NFL, and I was I was on par yep. with that. Um, and they're now zero and two. I don't really know what the specific problem is there, but you know, I don't think that they've been they haven't really been riddled with injuries. They just haven't been able to put it together on the Colts side of things. That was a really good win for them. Uh, Philip Rivers showing some promise. Uh, they did lose. Um, Wide receiver, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, you know, so the Colts, I really don't know what to say about the Colts, honestly. I feel like they're one of those, those middle-of-the-road teams that may make the playoffs, may not. Uh, but, you know, pretty good win for them. Uh, the Vikings, they're struggling pretty bad. Yeah, I don't have to say about the Vikings at this point. I'm pretty disappointed in them for what, what they've done. You know, in the in week one, they lost a high-scoring affair. Their offense looked good. And then yesterday, the offense just vanished, and they couldn't get anything going. The the defense, I mean, the defense had played great, but they did what they could because the offense was barely on the field, it seemed like, for the majority of the game. Yeah, and I just don't know what's going on because this, this team, although they don't have a great quarterback, they do have one of the better constructed rosters in the league. And to see them struggle in two different phases in two different games just doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't have to say, do we start calling for Mike Zimmer's set? I mean, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Mike Zimmer, he's been there, he's been there for so long. I just don't know if he's the issue, but there's something wrong there. So they're not clicking. I really don't know what it is. Or is it just a cursed organization? I don't know. Yeah. Um, with that being said, Lions Packers uh, Packers went 42 to 21. Pretty big blowout there. The Packers performed very well so far. Aaron Jones had an incredible uh, round game yesterday. He put up tons of yards. I think he had like three, four touchdowns. Something incredible. Um, Aaron Jones, incredible running back so far this season. Probably the best running back in the NFL so far this season. A lot of season less, obviously, but uh, Packers were firing on all, cindle, all cylinders, which is, I don't think is anybody really expected them to with how the offseason went in terms of they hit, they got to the draft. The Packers needed wide receivers, and they did not draft any wide receivers in, in the first couple rounds. Um, but they're still performing very well. Um, this Packers team, I think, right now is, is probably one of the Super Bowl contenders. Um, we'll have to see how they, they, they pan out, but really good so far for the Packers. On the Lions side of things, I think this, the way I've thought about them kind of stands. I just don't think Matt Patricia's the answer in, in Detroit. Um, Kenny Galladay's still out, but hopefully he'll return soon. He's playing. There we go. He's playing next week. Um, he was out through the first two weeks. Uh, but, you know, obviously big-time receiver for them. Uh, but this Lions team just can never seem to put it together. I really don't know what it is, but I, I, to me, it's, it's, it's Matt Patricia and his coaching. I don't think he, he's a great defensive coordinator. I think he's proven that while he was in New England. But just him as a head coach does not seem to be working out in Detroit, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I coming into this game, I don't think any, I don't think it's a surprise at all. I mean, mm-hmm. it's more of a surprise to see the Packers come out of the gate so well. I didn't think they'd do that, but as far as the game goes, I didn't, I was not surprised at the score at all. I figured it'd be pretty high scoring. I thought the Packers' defense could allow a few points, like they did against the Vikings. I thought the Pack, and then I thought their offense was going to kill the Lions, who have a horrible defense, and like, and it's the problem of although. You know, Matt Patricia's not a good head coach at all. The problem, like I said last week on the podcast, is just from the top down, that organization is one of the worst ones. And I keep saying, they just focus too much on copying the Patriots instead of forming their own identity. And then and then they go out and look terrible week after week after week. So you know, something's, got, something's got to give over there, or else they're just going to get blown out or lose in embarrassing fashion every week. Yeah, I agree. It's just that when it comes to the Packers lines, I thought the game would be a little bit closer. I mean, that's what you would hope out of Detroit. I don't think any expected anybody expected Detroit to win, but to be blown out forty-two to twenty-one, um, you know, with, I think the Lions do have some talent. 
they should be able to keep the game closer, maybe. Uh, but not a good look for Detroit either way. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Falcons-Cowboys. This is probably the game of the week. Um, the Falcons, yet again, they blew another lead, 3-28. Uh, this time it was, uh, I forgot what the score what was. the score. I know it was 30-39 to, 30 to 39 at one point. Yeah, that's what um, that's Yeah, like late to the fourth quarter, 30-39. The lead was even more earlier in the game. Yeah, the, the Falcons had dominating this game all throughout. The, Falcon, the Cowboys made a push in the second half. But then it was really late. I would say like five minutes left in the fourth quarter, roughly. Um, you know, the Cowboys are down 30 to 39. Uh, they put up a touchdown with about two minutes left, a little bit less than that. Um, and then they, they kick an onside kick. And oddly enough, the Falcons uh, uh, hands team decided just to stare at the ball in the onside <laughs> kick instead of diving on it. It was it was a really peculiar moment. Um, so the rule is with an onside kick is that the team receiving it uh, can touch it at any point, but the team kicking it off has to wait for it to go 10 yards or else it's a penalty. Um, but that being said, the ball was before it passed 10 yards, and there was about two Falcons hovering over the ball, and they let it pass the 10-yard line, and the Cowboy dived on it. Uh, they got it back. Um, they, they, the Cowboys drove a little bit, uh, wound up kicking a field goal to win it. Uh, one, I think it was the second biggest comeback in NFL history. I, I believe that was, that was the statistic that came out of it. Uh, but the Falcons are just notorious for blowing le- big leads at this point. Um, you know, if I'm the Falcons, I'm pretty pissed. Uh, that team has struggled really bad. Julio Jones had a terrible day yesterday. The only positive I can really see out of the Falcons so far is the fact that Matt Ryan has looked really good so far. Um, potentially, you know, he's like he's playing at an MVP level right now, which is a good thing if you're the Falcons. But I mean, the rest of the franchise right now is, is in shambles. But the fact that they just blew that entire lead and they've had a pretty poor start to the year so far. On the side of the Cowboys. Um, Dak Prescott did get injured. I don't know what his status is currently. Um, it's a little bit up in the air, but um, he did come back into the game um, for that game after Andy Dalton took over for a little bit. But who knows if he'll he'll stay that way? I'll have to see going into next week. But I mean, the Cowboys—that's you know, that's a good win for them. Uh, way to fight back and, and win it. Um, I, I hate the Cowboys, so it sucks that they, they were able to come back and win it. Falcons, why couldn't you just close out that game? But a uh, pretty good win for the Cowboys there. Um, I think more than anything, the big story of this game is just the Falcons choking yet again. And it just, it, like you said, it reinforces the narrative. And it's just, on that kickoff, why would you just stand there and watch the ball? I get that if you touch it, it's live. But you're telling me they just standing there, I don't even know what to say. It's just they choke all the time. I don't know why Dan Quinn is still coaching that team. I said last year he should have been fired. And this year, they choke another game. I think this one of those that could be a huge turning point in the year for both teams. The Cowboys weren't looking good throughout, but the way they came back, that could be a huge momentum. The Falcons, they could have, you know, rebounded after that loss to the Seahawks and shown they could compete. But now, they could be demoralized again, like they were after twenty-eight to three, as everyone knows about. And just mm-hmm. although Matt Ryan, the offense can perform well, we've seen that happen before. This team still looks like they're going to disappoint again and again and again, and and they got to start. I think they just got to fire Dan Quinn at this point. I don't know how you can justify keeping him any longer. Yeah, just like going on to like the onside kick is just incredible because, you know, as you said, if they touch it, it's live. But the fact that when you look at that play, that there was two Falcons around it. The Cowboys were backed off, obviously, because they didn't want to touch it and get a penalty. Um, the fact, the two of those Falcon players had plenty of room to dive on that ball and give the Cowboys a zero percent chance of ever recovering that. Um, yeah, I think there so were three just, players around. Yeah, the ball. yeah, yeah. There was one like really close, and there was about two. One and two, like a little bit farther off, but I mean, they definitely could have recovered that and give the Cowboys no shot of ever getting it, and they kind of just let the Cowboys get it. Very interesting uh, scenario right there. Yeah, 
It's bad. Um, going on from there, we had the Bills and the Dolphins. I don't think anybody expected this game to play out as it, as it did, but the Bills won 31-28. to um, First of all, on the Bills' side, uh, you know, l- l- struggle up front, right, especially on the defensive side, which no one really expected out of the Bills. Um, you know, Josh Allen has really improved himself. In my opinion, Josh Allen's is probably going to be the best quarterback out of that draft class, um, out of the 2018 draft class. He's just – the way he's improved himself since becoming – first of all, I thought he was really talented when he came to the league, right? Great arm. Uh, he really has the ability to run. It was only the like it was really his decision making that was questionable in my opinion, and I think he's getting better and better at that. Um, I remember seeing a statistic where he was throwing about fifty percent while coming into the league. He was about sixty percent last year, and he's about seventy percent this year. So he's, he's seeing a nice steady increase in his in his uh, passing percentages, um, and his team is winning. I think this is a really good year for the Bills. Um, if Josh Allen continues to improve, this could be another Super Bowl contender. And I said that defense is incredible. Uh, they had a bad week this year, uh, this week rather, but uh, a lot to look forward to if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. And yeah, the other side of things, um, I just wanted to go over the Dolphins real quick and I'll hand it off to you, Max. Um, the Dolphins, you know, a lot of fight right there out of the Dolphins. I don't think anybody expected them to be, be even be in this game. Um, and the fact that they were able to go 20, 28 and 31, and really they were pretty much trading blows at the end of the game. Um, pretty incredible fight out of the Dolphins. And with the fact that they don't have their entire roster together, how they would like it, aka having two way quarterback. Uh, pretty incredible game for the Miami Dolphins. There's, there's a lot to look forward to there. It's a lot of promise. Um, I'd be happy with that result. Yeah, I think that I was surprised at how high swing the game was. I expected it to be a lot lower, and I thought the Bills would win it fairly handily at the end. I didn't expect it to be a total blow-up. But you know, the way Josh Allen's performing, I mean, if he can continue to – if he plays games like that, then the Bills will be a Super Bowl contender because we know that defense is better than the way they play and, and that they will perform better. And for the Dolphins, I think we've seen – it's pretty encouraging what they're doing because it, we can see they're building a team. They're building a, a seemingly good culture down there. If they, I mean, not that they're going to – I don't think they'll even make the playoffs this year, but if they can be competitive in a lot of these games moving forward, that's a really, really good sign. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um, so moving on from there, we have the Cardinals in Washington, Team Washington. Uh, no surprise here, Washington fell. Uh, that team, as we have said, uh, is, is the roster is pretty poor. But I think the coaching under Ron Rivera is really good, and that's the only reason they've had the success they did in Week One, and the fact they're able to put up a fight in Week Two. Outside of that, their 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 talent is pretty pretty thin, um, and from top to bottom, that that organization is, is in shambles. Uh, on the Cardinals side of things, as I said over the past years, Cardinals are really building a team here. They're two and zero now. Um, they're just, they're just a really good team, and you know they could be one of those teams that makes a playoff run, maybe even a Super Bowl appearance at the end of this year. And they continue to play as hot as they are. Oh yeah, I mean, the, as we, as you said, no surprise for Washington. I mean, although their front seven is good, I mean, it doesn't matter. A team like that doesn't matter how much talent they have because they're just a terrible organization from top to bottom. You know, no surprise that the Cardinals here would take advantage. Kyler Murray, I, I think, making his case for he, he could be maybe he could be a top five quarterback at the end of the year. I mean, I don't think he'll win MVP this year, but I think he has potential too soon. And with the weapons he has on offense, I mean that. I do. I fully believe at this point, especially with all the injuries that have happened, they didn't suffer any injuries. I do think they will make the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did 100 will make the playoffs this year. Um, you know, go, going back to um, uh, go, going back to what I said about the the draft class of 2018. Uh, I meant Josh Allen is probably gonna be the best out of that front that front like group that was supposed to be quarterback. Uh, the great quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson. Obviously, I forgot he was drafted in 2018 when right. I said that. <laughs> 
Obviously, right. Lamar Jackson is probably the best quarterback out of that class, but I guess I'm talking more so about the uh, early the, ones. Th- those early ones where we had Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, uh, Baker Mayfield. I do think Josh Allen is going to edge them out as the best quarterback out of that piece of the draft. Um, with that being said, uh, we have the Ravens and the Texans. The Ravens won at 33-16. to To me, no surprise to you, the Ravens are just an incredible team. Uh, Lamar Jackson, watching him, is incredible. Um, it reminds me of a lot of, you know, I wasn't, uh, or I was a little bit too young to watch the, the prime of Mike Vick. I didn't really understand what's going on. But, you know, from the highlights that I've seen of Mike Vick, you know, these guys are almost identical between their ability to just run around in the pocket and, and make plays on their on their feet, as well as the throws that they make are are, are really incredible. Uh, Lamar Jackson is really something. I, I really didn't expect this out of him. I figured, you know, all the athleticism that he had showed in college, I figured he'd probably get met at the NFL level and be able they'd be able to slow him down. But... It just seems like that's not possible. I don't think there's any team that could really stop Lamar Jackson. The only team that can stop Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson himself and the Ravens. They're only could beat themselves, honestly. Um, you know, their defense is, is pretty good, too, right? They played really well. And, uh, you know, the entire Ravens team is just incredible. Uh, that is the best, in my opinion, best team in football right now. Uh, look out for the Ravens, uh, as we expect last season when they went 14-2. and Could see another season like that. Um, and on the Texas side of things, you know, even though they're 0-2, you know, they've had a pretty tough schedule so far. Um, they had to play the Chiefs and the Ravens back-to-back. Even though the Texans are 0-2, they're probably the best 0-2 team that's in the NFL right now. Um, Sean Watson's obviously incredibly talented. Uh, the Texans, obviously, as well, you know, lack talent around, around the rest of the team. But I think the Texans are a pretty solid team. Uh, David Johnson has performed pretty well for them after trading DeAndre Hopkins for him. So that's a good sign for the Texans. Again, I just think this Texas team has a lot of improvement to make, and you're going to start seeing it when they don't have to face the best two teams in the NFL. Yeah, I think the Texans are, um, to expand on your statement, maybe not just best 0-2 team right now, but maybe one of the best 0-2 teams we've ever seen because they've played, I the two, you could make the argument, the two best teams in the mm-hmm. NFL. You know, the Ravens, the Texans have a pretty good offense, but I think the, the Ravens are obviously just better. The Ravens' defense is better. I remember one of the plays, Marcus Peters had a diving interception that seemingly came out of nowhere. It's just not a lot that Deshaun Watson and company can do, but you said about Lamar Jackson, he just continues to play well. He dominate you on the ground, and and then he can even do it with his arm because the way the defenses have to play, they don't really know what they're going to do. You mm-hmm. know, but honestly, the I would say that this victory, I mean, it's another regular season victory because I guess the one time the Ravens did get shut down was in the playoffs mm-hmm. against against my teams and. And who knows what the team's going to do in the playoffs. So I think regular season for these guys right now, I mean, it's great, but it doesn't really mean anything. they got to do we'll, – we'll see what these guys are made of in the playoffs. I totally agree with you. But, again, just like this Ravens team, pretty incredible behind Lamar Jackson. Um, so going on, we had the Chiefs-Chargers. Uh, really close game here, I think really unexpected. After Tyrod Taylor had that uh, really weird chest injury, which he got cleared at the hospital yesterday, so that was a good thing. Um, I think the Chargers will probably go back to Tyrod Taylor – next week, but Justin Herbert stepping in last minute and showing a lot of promise, you know, taking the Chiefs to overtime, uh, losing, but you got showing a ton of promise. It's a really good look for the Chargers. I didn't have that much as as much faith as Justin Herbert as I guess the rest of the, the world did when he got drafted six. I didn't think he was worth that pick. I was kind of always a little bit low on him, but I, I'd say through this game, he proved me wrong. Um, not only did he perform pretty well, but yet under the circumstances where he's a rookie quarterback stepping in really late under COVID, uh, I don't think you could ask more out of Justin Herbert in that situation. Uh, I think he performed very well. On the Chiefs side of things, you know, the Chiefs, um, they're not going to be perfect, but, you know, I'd say they have to do better than that. And the Chargers are not good enough of a team to give them that much of a struggle. 
Uh, but the Chiefs really to turn they're turning up their offensive dial. I would say in the second half into overtime, right when they needed them to. Uh, but a pretty pretty incredible game. Um, I, I think I remember this one play where uh, Patrick Mahomes had thrown like a fifty something yarder, fifty something yard touchdown to Tyree Kill, and it's just like, yep, that's the Chiefs right there. Uh, no matter what, no matter how how much you can try and stop them, that's the type of stuff that the Chiefs are going to be able to do, and what makes them probably the number two team in the NFL behind slightly behind the Ravens. Yeah, about Justin Herbert, I want to take a moment to talk about him. You know, a lot of people were not very high on him going into the draft. I was actually one of the ones who really was, and I, I can't believe you're not going to believe I'm going to be saying this on this podcast. But I think he's honestly on par, if not better than than Joe Burrow, because I thought the way he played at Oregon, I think he's really talented. He didn't have nearly as many weapons, and he still played the way he did. And going in yesterday, he, I thought he played a pretty good game, and he wasn't outstanding, but he managed the ball well. He was making pretty good reads, and even through a touchdown. And if I'm the Chargers. I'm not put going back to Tyrod Taylor. I'm I'm staying with Herbert because you know, even though he's not going to win for you much this year because it's rookie year. You're if you're the Chargers, you're not looking to win this year. This is a transition year where you, I, I think, focus on Herbert's development as your franchise QB and the way I think right now he showed he can handle it. I mean, he's not like I said, he's not he's not going to win you anything yet, but he can handle the pressure. He was playing pretty well and. I mean, he was playing, I think, was the best team in the league. I mean, he was going up against Mahomes, who once again, he did, he had that 50-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill. And, you know, that defense, like I've said, I think before, that they're better than people give him credit for. And I, I, it's just one of those things where I just want to focus on Herbert because I thought he played a good game. And I think that watching that game yesterday made me feel a lot better for that hot take of mine, saying that he was going to be one of the better, maybe the best quarterback in coming out of the, this class. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with you there. Uh, Justin Herbert, to me, played up to Joe Bird, if, if not better. And you can't argue what, what, what he produced. Um, I, to me, it's like, I don't know if they want to go with Justin Herbert just because, was that game a fluke in terms of, you know, his instincts really took over and the Chiefs weren't having their best game? Or is it because Justin Herbert's ready to start? I think it easily be both of the two. Yeah, I think he's ready to start. I mean, he, of course, he's raw, but I, I think the only way to make him better is to give him more time. I agree. It's just, uh, but we'll have to see. You know, I think, I it, so far the Chargers have said they plan to go back to Tyrod Taylor, but right. if they back, if they went back to Justin Herbert, like as you said, uh, if, I'm, if I'm a Chargers fan, I, I couldn't be mad at all. He played really well. Right. Um, so moving on from there, we had the Patriots and the Seahawks. Um, Seahawks wound up winning thirty-five to thirty. Pretty incredible game right here. Uh, probably my favorite game of the week, and it happened to be the last one. Um, first of all, Seahawks side Russell Wilson. Uh, my favorite for the MVP so far, and I'm glad because I drafted him in fantasy. Uh, I, I think he threw five touchdowns last night, a little, a little under 300 yards. Uh, played incredible. This man, his deep ball is just so beautiful to watch. Um, his, his the way he plays, just he, he's very smart with the ball. Um, I think he threw he threw one interception yesterday. It wasn't even his fault. He had picked Greg Olson in the hands and he popped it up, and Devin McCourty picked it off for a pick six. That was probably one. Of the, I think it was the first or second play of the game. Um, it was really unfortunate to see Russell Wilson do that. After that happened to him, it wasn't even his fault, but uh, incredible game out of Russell Wilson. Uh, the rushing game for the Seahawks was very good, and that defense played pretty decently too. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of promise there for the Seahawks, as we kind of expected going into the season. On the other side of things, if I'm a Patriots fan, I'm pretty satisfied with that, that game yesterday. Would you look, again, if you look at that Patriots roster, terrible. Like, they have so little talent. They're so raw. They have so many mismatches. You know, Cam Newton's new. Um, they, they have new tight ends. 
Uh, their their best offensive lineman opted out. Their best, uh, you know, corner uh, rather than safety had opted out. Um, linebacker, bad, linebacker rather. I can't. I'm bad with English today. So again, just like a bunch, it's really a mixed match group, and I don't think they're really lacking on the talent side. But the coaching of Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels is so incredible that they're able to put a fight up a fight against a team like the Seahawks. Um, that being said, you know, looking at that last play of the game yesterday, which if you guys don't know, basically the Patriots had, had stopped the Seahawks. They got the ball back with about a minute left. Uh, they charged down the field. The Patriots have been on, I think it was the two or three yard line um, with about two seconds left on the clock. Patriots opt to run it with a, with a quarterback run that they had run a couple of times with Kent Newton prior to the game, and they had scored a touchdown on. Uh, the Seahawks wind up stuffing it, but looking at that play, objectively, Cam Newton could have bounced to the outside and probably scored a touchdown. Uh, you know, to me, it's like I don't know what else Bill Belichick could have done in the situation. He, he, you know, Cam Newton probably could have scored that touchdown. Uh, it's just it is what it is. But you know, Cam Newton's looking really good so far for the Patriots, and uh, I, I don't know what to say. But Bill Belichick, he just amazes me. Um, even though the Patriots are one and one now, it's just they're incredible. To see like how able how successful they can be with how little how limited their roster is, yeah, I think this game has to have been the game of the year so far, and it's one of the ones I watched in full. You know, Seahawks obviously, I, I think people can agree, definitely the better team here. And Russell Wilson, I mean, there's not much to say. He's so he's so smart and talented, and then even DK Metcalf, I want to talk about too. He had a really good game being covered by Stephon Gilmore, and he I remember DK burned him on one of the touchdowns they scored, which is really good for him. And the Seahawks. I, I was surprised about how the Pats allowed that many points on defense, but but their offense more than made up for it. And if you're if you're if I'm a Pats fan, I'm more than just satisfied. Looking at that game, like you said, terrible roster. They lo- they lost their best offensive lineman. They lost their best linebacker at a, and that's a position which they're already thin at, despite a good defense. And they have Cam Newton, who was who would look to be past his prime. And you put that many pieces together, and you take the Seahawks down to the wire like that in their. Of course, they had no fans, but on the road like that, you go and you do what they did. It's just incredible. It goes to show how good Bill Belichick really is, and how he could, how when he builds a team that can win for him, he's going to be one of the best coaches out there. Of course, they lost that game. People are going to agree because just the lack of talent on their side, but the way they, they're fighting. And that's one of the things that we talked about earlier, but I'm going to say now, that's one of the things where you say we put up a great fight, that is good enough because that team should never be in that game to begin with from a talent standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to saying, like, putting up a tough fight is, is important when you have a roster or a franchise that has proved it's won in the recent past, like the Patriots. Um, that's where I feel like the Giants are not good enough because how, how long can we go saying that we, we fought tough enough when we just – Continually get the top five pick in the draft every year. You know what I mean. Right. Um, but that being said, really, really good game right there. A uh, lot of promise for the Patriots. Uh, so the last game of the week, which is going to happen tonight at eight fifteen, we have the Saints and the Raiders. And simply, the Saints have way more talent. They're a better team. I expect the Raiders to go one and one, and the Saints to go uh, two and zero. Oh. I have Josh Jacobs tonight and Emmanuel Sanders, and I'm down thirty in fantasy. So I need those two to get me fifteen points each for me to win. So. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I need, Alvin, the Saints. I need Alvin Kamara to get me 40-plus points in one of my leagues. So, I mean, it is Kamara, so hopefully. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think the Saints win this game without question. So that about wraps it up for the NFL. Uh, we're going to move over to the NHL. Uh, Max, go ahead. All right, so I got a decent amount of info today. So we're going to start with the, the wrap-ups of the conference finals. So the Stars ended up beating the Golden Knights last Monday night. They 
um, advance to the Stanley Cup Finals. And the, the whole, pretty much from games three to five, the Stars just had their way defensively. The Knights failed to make adjustments. Peter DeBoer is a huge reason they lost because, you know, the way the Stars work was they they have a good defensive form. They, the Stars, first of all, Rick Bonus, give them credit, adjustment master, because they went into the series the way they played against the Avalanche. They were, they were emphasized a four-check heavy game, dump and chase the offensive zone, you know, um, play really down low, make defensemen converge on the um, the Avalanche at the time, and it worked really well at the beginning. They tried the same thing against the Knights in the game one that series, and it worked out, and that stopped working. But then Rick Bonus, he went and he made a. Um, a defensive game plan where they would have a, a defensive formation and then the Knights, they just couldn't adapt to it. It's just careless because the whole time, you know, their zone entries were critical. They just, they kept trying to work it in on the wings and then create from there, pass the puck through the um, middle of the ice and it just wouldn't work, not even close. They, Although Anton Hudobin has been a stud, they, the Golden Knights really just didn't register many opportunities on them. And that's, you know, the Golden Knights have done what the Stars against the Avs, you know, play a dump and chase game, try to get the stars out of the formation and then converge down low. Obviously there's a risk with that because if you give up, um, because counterattacks will result in like just really bad odd men rushes for the opposition. But I mean, if you're down three, one of the series, you've got to take a chance and, and they didn't do that. At the end of the day, they were out coach. And despite the, having the shots on goal advantage, I think they deserve the loss because of their, um, refusal to adjust what the stars were doing. So the stars, you know, I personally hate the stars because they're one of my division rivals, but they deserve the win right there. And also, I mean, I want to, this doesn't do much with um, the actual play on the ice, but the Golden Knights honestly deserve to lose just based on the way they were acting the whole time. Their players were being really chirpy and entitled. They, they said some things to the um, Canucks players in that series that were terrible. They said how, I'm not going to say exactly what they said because I can't really say it on this, but like they pretty much talk about how they're soft and how all the hits they made were clean and all. It was just, and they were, and, and if some of you saw Jonathan Marcheseau on Instagram, he wanted to start talking with, just started ranting at some random person on Instagram about how basically telling him to just shut up and stop talking. It's just really entitled and arrogant behavior on their part. And it, it was, it's honestly, they deserve to lose that. So I'm, I'm done talking about the series now. So moving on to the series I think you guys want to talk about. Sadly, the Islanders' playoff run has officially ended. With uh, They lost in six games to the um, Lightning. And it's unfortunate that a team like that had to go out. But they really fought hard. You know, they, they were in games five and six. They did pretty well to keep the puck out of their own net. And, and they just, obviously, like we said, they're not the better team. And they just unfortunately couldn't get the win. It's a great run, but it, it unfortunately had to just come to an end at that point. Do you guys want to talk about that at all? Because I, Nick, I know you were watching when I was watching the final bit of that game six. Yeah, it was tough, but it was just like watching the Islanders, especially in that last game where they were fighting to the absolute end and they lost in overtime. It's just like that. Just watching that series, you could tell this, this, the Lightning were just so much more talented than, than the Islanders, and the Islanders were fighting their absolute hardest to hold on, but uh, the talent wasn't there. Um, the effort definitely was. It's unfortunate to see the Islanders go down, but uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, promises looking forward to her in the future. I mean, Barzal has a lot to improve upon, and then Islanders roster just is, you know, a lot of fight in them, and there's a lot of, a lot of potential. So I'm excited 
for the future as an Islanders fan. Brian, you want to say anything? I mean, I didn't really watch it, so I don't really have anything to say. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so I'm going to move into the the Stanley Cup final game. Um, which is, uh, game one happened on um, Saturday. I'm going to talk about the series. Like, I'm going to talk about the prediction that I made for the series, but I'm also going to give you some background info. So, so this is the... Um, First, first time the Stars are in the Cup Finals since um, 2000. First time in 20 years. The they won the Stanley Cup in 1999 against the Buffalo Sabers. If any um, you hockey fans are listening to this, to know about Brett Hull's infamous skate in the crease goal, which was the clincher for that Stanley Cup. That's the last time they were in the finals. So they're the first time back. Um, the Lightning are back for the first time since 2015, where they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks in six games. Um, 2004 was the time when they were able to hoist the Stanley Cup when they beat the Calgary Flames in seven games, and it's the um, third. I believe it's the third time. Let me just. I think yeah, I believe it's the third time where um yes, it is the third time that both teams have made their appearances in the Stanley Cup Finals. And going into the series, I want to start talking about the um going into Saturday night because Game One already happened. You know, the Lightning, I think most people can agree, are the better team on paper because, you know, their offense is just so much better with guys like Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point. I think they might even be getting Steven Stamkos back for tonight, which would be a huge get for them. On defense, both teams are still stacked, but I'd still give it to the the, the, the Bolts because, you know, they have the best defenseman on the ice in Victor Hedman. Miro Hiskinen is becoming a really, really good star for the, for the Stars, no pun intended there. And then they have other excellent players and Essa Lindell and John Klingberg, but with the lightning core of Victor Hedman, veterans, Ryan McDonough, Kevin Shattenkirk, Zach Bogosian, you can make the argument of that defense is the best in the league. And both goaltenders also are great with Anton Udom being a sub for the Stars. Andre Vasilevsky, he's um, been long recognized as one of the best goaltenders in the league, and I'd probably give the edge to him on paper. But, you know, looking at the series, though, the on-paper matchup, honestly, has little to no importance to me, because the Stars have shown they can compete with other great teams. They beat the Avalanche and the Golden Knights, two teams who are on, on paper are superior to them. So, and in terms of momentum, I'd say it's pretty. The Stars have the slight edge. I think it's pretty equal because with the Stars beating two um, more talented teams, with the Lightning, you know, I, I want to talk about the Lightning having a kind of a story like UVA basketball because I, when, when UVA won their championship the year before, they were upset by. The, they were honestly slaughtered by the um, 16th seed of the conference. It was the first team, the first time the 16th seed ever beat a one seed in that tournament with the Lightning. But then the, the UVA were able to come back the next year and win the championship. The Lightning, sort of the same story, a team that had also had several playoff embarrassments, but came back um, the next year. They're in the finals now. They were last year. They were swept in the first round as a President's Trophy winner. First time it ever happened, a team like that got swept. And also a team that had maybe the best regular season of all time, which was embarrassing, but they're in the finals now. And any time, anything like that, despite the fact that the Stars have um, the upset advantage, the Lightning have this advantage in the story department. And I'd say that is a um, huge edge. I'd say that's huge for them in terms of momentum. And then, but also the, the thing I want to focus on most is coaching because I've talked about how great of a coach Rick Bonus was from the second round on the adjustments he made going into the the Avalanche series. How he switched to a four check heavy game, he took the chance as the underdog. It paid off once the Avs got injured. 
he kind of backed off from that, played a more even game because they were more similar in talent. But then going back to the Golden Knights, same story. He then he went back into the four check game. That didn't work. Then he then he switched again to the defensive formation. It's just remarkable to see what he's done. And John Cooper is he's done better, but he's been known to not adjust that well in the past when his team is when it matters. So I get I'd give the coaching advantage to the Stars, and because of that, I predict the Stars to win this series in seven games. And game one, I'm going to talk about what happened the other night. I didn't watch it that that closely because I was watching the Wake Forest game, but I watched the highlights and I and I had the noise. Um, that game behind me, and it was kind of the same story as the Western Conference Final with the Stars. They allowed few significant opportunities to the Lightning. The Lightning, I, I don't know why teams aren't realizing to beat the Stars team, you have to play a four-check, dump-heavy game. The Lightning didn't do that. Once again, they tried to enter the zone on the wings and create from there, which didn't work. The Stars, you know, they were outshot again, but with the way their defense held up, they were able to get a 4-1 win, which was really good for them. So hopefully this series is good. I hope it's not a sweep because it would it would not be very fun that way, but I but I do think the Stars would win. Do you guys have anything to say about that? Okay. Um, I mean, I haven't followed the Stars too closely. I just, for me, like watching the Lightning team, I don't know if any team can really beat them. But... Uh, <laughs> When you're like the stars are, the, yeah, you can. Yeah. But what I've seen from the highlights between the stars, like, I definitely see your point. Like, it's definitely going to be it's going to be a close game, but the stars may be able to edge them out. Yeah, I think they will. So the, there's a lot of other stuff I want to talk about um, for hockey material today. So I want to start with the Capitals have found their new head coach, um, Peter Laviolette, who was um, the former coach of my team, the Nashville Predators. And I do think he was one of the better coaches on the market. You know, he has a great track record. He won the Stanley Cup with the Hurricanes. He took the Flyers and Preds to the Stanley Cup final. He's a, um, you know, he's obviously has a great track record as a head coach. He's a known winner. So I think this is a good move by the Capitals. I I think um, Gerard Gallant would have been just as good, if not better. But I mean, Laviolette is not as far from a bad guy. He's a really good get. So good work by the Capitals there. Moving on, I, I want to talk about. Um, Jonas Brodin, defense, defenseman for the Wild, he got an extension the other day. It's a seven-year extension, Adam, $6 million per year. I think Brodin is a good player. He's one of the better shutdown defensemen in the league, so I think it's good value for him. $6 million per year is about pretty good. His offensive game is not great, but he does put up some points. So so I think I like it. And now there's um, shopping. Their other defenseman, Matt Dumba. Um, he has kind of failed to reach his potential in the league. He's had some promise, but he hasn't been able to put it together. I think this is a good move by the Wild, not only for that reason, but because this team is overloaded on defense. On defense, it doesn't have a ton of great forwards. Their um, their their wanted return is a top six forward. I'm not sure they can get that, but you know, maybe if they, I think certain teams like the Oilers, Jets, and Flames can be fits, and those are teams that are potentially looking to make some moves in the offseason. So I think. I think those are the targets the Wild should look at, and they could potentially make something work there. So, and then the Wild, also the Wild, it's it's kind of weird for them because they've been kind of a directionless team because they've made moves over the past year that suggested, okay, this team wants to win now, or like, okay, this team wants to blow it up. It's hard to decide, but looking right now, it looks like they want to win, and that's smart, I think, because their their cap situation is they can't really rebuild anytime soon. So, they, I think they might as well try to make do with what they have, with especially with Kevin Fiala having a breakout year last year, I think it's smart for them to try and do what they can to win. So we'll see what happens there. 
you know, we, we, the Brodeans already locked up. We'll see if they can move Matt Dumba. And that will probably have to happen after the finals over. So moving on. And also another move with the, involving the Wild. They traded Eric Stahl to the Sabres for Marcus Johansson. This is a trade I, I don't really see a clear winner. If there's anything I could see out of this, I think it's more... I mean, I, the Wild, I can see wanting to get younger because Johansson is a younger player. And I, see, I can see the Sabres also wanting Eric Stahl since he is a veteran. And with him providing veteran leadership, I think that's fairly crucial to their organization because they're a young team that's kind of been in shambles for a long time. So getting a guy there to kind of weather the storm is good for them. I mean, otherwise, I think the trade is kind of pointless because both team, both players are um, like third-line forwards. And this hardly affects their cap situation at all. Johansson's got one year left on his deal. Um, Eric Saul's got two. And I believe Saul is making $3 million per year. So I think the, the Wild up their um, cap hit for this year, but it's only for one year instead of two. So really, it's minimal impact on that. I see this being more Wild get fresher legs. Um, the Sabres get um, a locker room presence. So it's not a great trade, but, it's, but it's a, there's no winner or loser. So anyway, moving on, I want to talk about um, Joel Edmondson, he was traded to the um, his no his rights were his signing rights were traded to the Montreal Canadiens for a fifth round pick, I believe it was, and the Canadiens signed him to a four year contract at three and a half million per year. In my opinion, this is not a great contract at all. You know, Edmondson is a bottom pairing um, physical defenseman that the Canadians Canadians don't need. I think the term is expensive and long for the the type of player he is. I mean, he showed promise early in his career, but he hasn't really. He has not put it together. I think the only reason he did as well as he did last year is because the Hurricanes are a team with good defensemen, so he's able to go into that system and thrive off them. But the Canadians, I don't think this makes sense because I think they need more offense. They could have used that money for the, over the next few years to save for guys like Brendan Gallagher, Thomas Tatar, Max Domi. Who had, Max Domi has contracts expired this year. He's a restricted free agent. Next, the other guys, Tatar and Gallagher, they... they are due for new contracts next year. That three and a half million could have been used for one of them, but now they now they may not be able to afford all those guys moving forward. So who knows what happens there? I just I just don't like that deal. I also want to talk about the Jaron McCann contract for the Penguins. He was signed for two years at two point nine four million per year. I I think I'm a huge fan of this deal because he's a he's a um, good um, depth depth and role player for the Penguins. He had. His highest point per game average of his career was 68 and 35 games. Excuse me, 35 points in 68 games, and he's not a great player, but he's still he's still a good depth piece. And that term is exactly I think what you need for a guy that is on the upswing. He's not really a huge difference maker, but he definitely helps out the depth. So I like that a lot. So then maybe the biggest news of the week I'm going to talk about: two huge names for the who are going to supposed to hit the free agent market this year, Braden Holtby and Alex Petrangelo. It was announced by the Capitals organization that they expect Holtby to depart. And then Alex Petrangelo has broken off all trade talks with with the Blues. And I think this is a good move by the Caps because they don't, because Holtby's going to be demanding, I think, some, somewhere similar to Sergei, Sergei Bobrovsky, about $10 million per year. And they already have their rise, their young goaltender and Ilya Samsonov, who's supposed to be their starter moving forward. So I think it's a good move by the Caps. Just let him go and, and go to cheaper, younger option. For the Blues, I think this really stings them to get rid of Petrangelo. And it, and you think um, to, um, last year training for Justin Falk hasn't worked out for them, and now that, and now, now that they're going to probably lose Petrangelo, this is not that trade and sign looks pretty bad. Although 
I do, although in my opinion, it is a good idea for them to not pay Petrangelo if he wants more than $10 million per year because they are uh, a defense-heavy team and they don't need to be investing that much money into one position. Uh, going in back to Holtby, I don't think any one team either needs and can afford Holtby, except like the Red Wings or Senators, who are two pretty bad teams at the moment. I see the Flames, Oiler, and Oilers being contenders that could potentially throw money at Holtby, although I'm not sure. The Sabres could do it if they don't trust Linus Olmark moving forward, who's their guy to start from this year, although they're kind of unsure about where he is. But I, I think, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see because there are not a lot of teams that think they can contend but that need and, and can afford a guy like Holtby. You know, for the for Petrangelo, I think the best fits there are the Panthers, Oilers, Jets, and Flames as they need help on defense. With the Flames, we'll see what happens to the Flames because they have a lot of defensemen who have expiring contracts. So if they resign all of them, which I don't think they will, they wouldn't need Petrangelo. But if they if they do if they do let a good amount of those guys go, then the Flames might want to take a shot. So the, the Golden Knights are another team that I've also heard that can make a shot at take a run at Petrangelo. Um, they would need to definitely unload some money. I think a good way for them to get rid of some money this year would be to get rid of um, Mark Andre Fleury, although. Although, actually, I don't know because they might need to re-sign Robin Leonard. Let me. I don't know what's going to happen there. The bottom line is Knights would have to get rid of some cap space to make that signing happen. But I, I would say that the the latter four teams, the, the Panthers, Oilers, Jets, and Flames, would be the best fits for him at this point in time. So, yeah, that's all the hockey stuff I have. So, are we moving into basketball now? Yes, we are. Um, so, mm, I guess we'll talk about the playoffs right now and then some award races that are going on. And that already happened. Uh, so, we'll first start with the Heat versus Celtics. Um, the Heat are currently up 2-1. Obviously, it's... The Heat are doing what they've been doing throughout the bubble and the playoffs. Um, from Goran Dragic to Ben Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, they've been playing so well. Um, I mean, as you know, Jimmy Butler and Adebayo were the two key catalysts in the series before the Celtics. Um, but they have continued against the Celtics. On the other side of the ball for the Celtics, their usual uh, four guys, Tatum, Walker, Smart, uh, Walker, Tatum, Walker, Smart, and um, Jalen Brown have all played really well. I mean, it's definitely, obviously 2-1 is a pretty close series in and of itself, but in terms of the individual games, none of them have really been blowouts. Um, so it's definitely close. We talked about last week that we thought the Celtics were going to be able to beat the Heat. And, I mean, the Heat are just doing it again as they did last time against the Bucks. They're proving everyone wrong. Um, and for a lot of teams, that's what really propels someone into getting farther and farther into the playoffs. Just constant doubt around the team. But the players on the team have all the inspiration because they want to prove doubters wrong. And that's really what's going on right now. Um, and, I mean... I love to see comeback stories and uh, not even comeback stories, just proving doubters wrong. That's one of my favorite things about sports, and the Heat just continue to do it over and over again. And on the other side of the ball, which I think Nick is going to discuss, um, Lakers versus Nuggets. Yeah, Lakers versus Nuggets. So just going off of what uh, Brian had said, uh, pretty good uh, series so far. That's what I talked about before they even started. Uh, both of these teams are both team-oriented teams, right? We're not talking... One superstar that really takes over. Um, if there has been one, maybe it might be Jimmy Butler. He's been performing very well for the 
for the Heat. Um, but beyond that, uh, pretty good uh, series. And if I had to pick a team, I'd probably go Celtics and seven still. Uh, with that being said, on the Lakers and Nuggets side of things, it's been pretty one-sided. Uh, the Lakers are absolutely dominating the Nuggets across the board. They're 2-0. Um, you know, last night was a little bit of a closer game. Anthony Davis won it on a buzzer beater. Ultimately, I think the story between these two teams is Anthony Davis, though. Uh, for all the talk that LeBron James gets, Anthony Davis has, has done exactly that, slash sometimes even better. Um, Anthony Davis had 31 points last night, 9 rebounds, 2 assists. And then you had uh, LeBron James, 26-11-4. and four. Uh, Both those guys are, you know, what do you say? They're, they're ice. They're getting, they're, what's the move world? Canceling out Jamal uh, Murray or Jokic because both of them are both having like 25, 30 point nights a game. The Lakers are honestly just a better team, and between the talent and the, the coaching behind LeBron James, because let's be honest, LeBron James is really the coach for the Lakers, but, um, you know, this Lakers team is just so good, and I just, I don't see the, the Denver Knox being able to come back in this series and winning it. So we're probably going to have Celtics Lakers, uh, pretty classic matchup Very in true. the finals. Yeah. Which should be nice. Which well, I haven't decided if I'm Celtics or Heat. Um, if I had to give a prediction, I'm gonna change it and say the Heat in seven. Um, but we'll have to see. In terms of what else I want to talk about basketball, I want to talk about obviously the MVP being Giannis. Um, Nick did a POV about it on our Instagram, so I'm gonna let Nick talk about it a little bit. But my opinions on it, I I mean Giannis was the obvious choice. I know, um, obviously, LeBron James has taken their, his team farther than Giannis did, and it was not a great way to end the playoffs for Giannis. But then again, these are not playoff awards, they're regular season awards. And Giannis had a better regular season, propelled the Bucks into the top spot in the East, um, and was the reason that the Bucks were in the playoffs in the first place. And, I mean, that's what makes an MVP. Uh, Nick, any opinions? Yeah. I mean, anything outside of that, Brian's pretty much nailed it on top of the head. Giannis had the best stats. He was the best player in the... And you guys can go check out the POV on Instagram if you want to see more, but uh, Giannis had the best stats. Uh, LeBron and Harden were a little bit behind him, uh, and I think Giannis honestly was the most valuable player during the regular season. Uh, with that being said, I feel like LeBron really should just be quiet about it. Why are mm-hmm. you complaining about how many first-place votes you got? You're probably going to win the championship. What's more important to you? Um... Everyone knows the MVP is kind of like what's the best story at the end of the at the end of the day. Like obviously LeBron James is going to probably be the most valuable player in the NBA every single year. He's just that good and versatile right. and so crucial for every team that he plays for. Um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, when you look back on like somebody like LeBron's career, we're not going to look at the amount of MVPs he had as high as how many championships he had because at the end of the day, uh, the MVP is more of a subjective vote where. You can't really argue a championship because if you won the championship, you know you won you won that series, all the series leading up to it. So, less to argue there. And just I think it's one of the situations where like LeBron, he shouldn't really complain like that because like when he talked, it seems like he made it seem that he thinks like the media has been like against him. It's like where the media in reality the media is like always on your side. It's like, dude, don't focus on yourself. Number one, that's just false. Number two, you're in the middle of a championship mm-hmm. run. Focus on that. Don't make yourself center of attention. I am honestly surprised that LeBron James would say something like that because ever since his, like, decision thing where he decided to go to Miami, he's been very on the side of, like, being all about the team and not caring about himself. And this is the first time that, like, he's done something that's kind of shown that he's still somewhat that guy that made a whole television show just based off himself. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll go off of basketball and go into baseball. So I want to talk about the playoff situation. I've been doing this every week, and now there's seven, eight, six games, depending on your team. Um, in terms of the American League, a lot of things are set. Uh, the AL East, which I'm sure uh, Nick will talk about a little bit, but the Yankees and the Rays have both clinched the American League East. Uh, the Central, the White Sox and the Twins have both clinched the Central, and the Athletics clinched the AL West, and right now, the Astros, it's really between the Astros and Mariners for the number two in the AL West. I think it's going to go to the Astros. The Mariners are currently four games behind, so I don't even know how they still have a chance. Um, oh wait, they clinched the playoff berth. I'm totally wrong. Okay, let me start over. The Rays and the Yankees both clinched playoff berths. The White Sox and the Twins both clinch playoff berths, and the Athletics clinch playoff berths. I mean, in a couple of days, these uh, divisions are going to be all but set. Um, but in terms of the mathematical things, all of them have clinched playoff berths. It's going to seem like it's going to be the Rays and the Yankees from the AL East, the White Sox and the Twins from the Central, and from the West is going to be the Athletics and Astros. Um, it's all just mathematics at this point, if there's still a chance for other teams, but it would have to take a miracle for some of these teams to take the division spots in terms of the wild card situation um right now for the wild card it seems like the indians are going to have the number one spot and then the blue jays are going to have the number two spot there's no real teams that are anywhere close to i guess at this point the blue jays because the indians are all but for sure going to get the number one wild card spot yeah, I mean, it's going to be between the Blue Jays and the Indians, wild card. So that's what the AL American League is set up to be. For the NL, it's not as clear-cut. The Dodgers and the Padres are the two only teams that have clinched a playoff berth, and they both come from the NL West. In terms of the NL East, somehow, the Marlins have the... Well, the Marlins are most likely going to have one of the NL East top spots, which I do not know how they've done. I mean... They have a lot of good young pitchers that came out of nowhere, so they got lucky with that. Um, The Braves seem to probably take the number one spot. The Braves and the Marlins are about to start a series against one another. So, I mean, if the Marlins can sweep them, then they have the number one NLE spot, which is insane to me. I don't know how that has happened. Um, Then for the NL Central, the Cubs and the Cardinals. uh, The Reds and the Cardinals are both fighting for the second NL Central spot. Uh, the Cubs have it on lock for sure. Um, in terms of the wild card, this is where it'll get interesting and should make for a fun last seven games or six games or eight games, depending on your team. The two top spots are the Phillies and the Reds. And the Red spots is tied between the Reds, Brewers, and Giants, um, who are all at 500. And then there's a bunch of teams below them that are close enough um, that there's still a chance for them. I mean, my main focus is the Mets at this point, and they're the only other team that has the chance to get a wild card spot. The Mets currently sit two and a half games behind. Let's just pick the Reds. Um, they have seven games left. At this point, they really, really can't lose another game when all these other teams win. If they do, they're pro- they're, I think, mathematically out of it. Um, so they have to. It's basically a miracle, but. Um, that's what I'm rooting for at this point. I mean, I guess I'll just go into the Mets rundown at this point. Um, obviously, I said they're two and a half games back. 
they just finished a series against the Braves. They went one and two. Um, they have the Rays coming up. I mean, the Rays have played so well this season. The uh, It's going to be a hard situation for the Mets. But uh, they have Jacob DeGrom going tonight, and their pitchers have pitched much better coming down the stretch, which I hope will continue. Um, they need Jacob DeGrom at his... I mean, he always basically always has his A-plus stuff, but he needs to be very good against the Rays to give the Mets a chance, and hopefully they can just win out, which is something that shouldn't I wish wasn't this situation, but that's basically what it is at this point. Um, the last thing I want to talk about with the Mets is the Cy Young race. Um, after last week's start where Jacob DeGrom came out at, didn't even finish two in- innings, wasn't because he gave up a ton of runs. He gave up three runs, which is a lot for him, but he had a little injury, I think, it was called hamstring spasms. So he came out, and for baseball fans, you know, ERA is based off um, earned runs and the amount of innings you pitch. And obviously, he gave up three earned runs in two innings, which was the most runs that he's given up in any game this season, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it was only two innings, so it spiked his ERA to 2.06, I think. And currently, who he's playing against for the Cy Young, I'd really say, is Max Fried, Yu Darvish, Trevor Bauer. Um, Trevor Bauer's ERA went up, I think, a few points. I think he's at, like, 1.7-something. Yu Darvish did not have a good game last night. His ERA's in the 220s, um, which, I mean, is a, a, a great ERA, but for Cy Young this year. Um, and Jacob deGrom is at 209, as I said. So he has had two really good games to end the season if he gets two starts. Um, so... Really what I'm hoping for, obviously, is a miracle by the Mets to make the playoffs. But second to that is the um, Cy Young race and Jacob DeGrom having the chance to three-peat, which would be really cool. But that's all I have to say about the Mets. Uh, Nick, anything you want to say about the Yankees? Uh, sure, yeah. Just the Yankees, as I predicted last week, they got all their talent back. Besides, obviously, they lost James Paxton for the year, but he was had, he had a 6.64 ERA for the year, so losing him isn't that big of a loss uh, in terms of his this year's performance. You know, 382 last year is pretty helpful, but... 662 is not great. Um, with him being out for the rest of the season, is a loss for the Yankees, but not that big of a loss. Uh, going to the rest of the team, uh, you know, we're just firing on all cylinders. We won our last 10 games, and we lost, I think it was the last night to the Red Sox, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, going 10 and 1 in your last 11 games is pretty solid. The Yankees are in second place, you know, 31 22, right behind the Tampa, um, Tampa Bay. Hopefully, uh, I'm kind of going to be have to be a Mets and Phillies fan this week, and hopefully the Mets take down the Rays, um, and the Yankees, Yankees can continue to win out, um, and then maybe the Yankees can scoop back first place. Be a inc- pretty incredible comeback with how right. short the season is. Is that all you have to say? Pretty much about it, yeah. Okay. Um, so that about wraps up this week's podcast. Uh, Max, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. All right, Nick? Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, and it's getting pretty long, we have so much stuff to talk about. But um, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to contact me at my email at nicholas 4 10 at yahoo.com. Uh, thanks for listening and handing it off to Brian. See you guys next week. All right. Yeah. A long podcast this week. Two long podcasts in a row. Um, but we'll be back next week with another podcast. We're not sure if we're going to be doing Mondays or Sundays or changing it up just because based off the NFL schedule. So we're still figuring that out. But we'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. You can DM us if you want. Uh, Check out our videos on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, our website. Um, 
If you have any, if you have any interest in writing for us, editing videos, any way you think could help, contact the Sport Universe 2019 at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening.